Truth News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live Hump Day. Yeah. It's Wednesday, a very cold Wednesday across the nation. How cold is it? Well, it kind of depends on what part of the country in which you live. We live in the south, you know, where it stays warm and balmy all the time. Northwest Louisiana. This morning I woke up and the temperature was a balmy 14 degrees. 14 degrees. We don't see that in Louisiana. I remember one time in my life, even when I was just a kid, the temperature got down in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is further south, to 8 degrees. Other than that, Louisiana is always balmy. You can bet one thing will always happen here. We're going to have humidity out the wazoo. So putting that in perspective of the really important items matter to all of us, where we live, where we live in what state, and the fact that we live in the United States. We need to put all that together and make it work. It's not working. <laughs> I know you know that just as well as I do. So what do we have for you today? Some really good, good information. Some startling facts overnight came out on some very important issues, and we're going to dig into all of that. But as usual, we get started with the little ditty. Who can forever forget? Sweet Baby James. Live in concert. I guess this was his uh, very first big hit. Fire and Rain, remember this? Ah, there that is. I recognize it now. Enjoy this, and we'll get cranking in about three minutes. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans we made put an end to you. Walked out this morning. And I wrote down the song Just can't remember who to send me to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days Thought they never end I've seen lonely times and could not find a friend But I always thought I'd see you again Won't look down on me, Jesus You gotta help me to make a stand Just gotta see me through another 
my body's aching and my time is at hand and I won't make it any other way oh I have seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days thought they never end I've seen lonely times and I could not find a friend But I always thought I'd see you again So I've been walking my mind to an easy time Back turned towards the sun Lord knows the cold wind blows Like to turn your head around Hours, hours of time on the telephone line Talking about things to come Sweet dreams and flying machines And pieces on the ground Oh, I've seen fire, I've seen Sunny days, thought they never end. I've seen lonely times, but I could not find a friend. But I always thought I'd see somehow one more time again. Thought I'd see you one more time again. Just a few things that come in my way this time around Thought I'd see you, thought I'd see you fire and rain Thought I'd see you just one more time, Every song he wrote and he made a big hit tells a story. I think maybe that's why many people from my generation back in the late 60s and 70s really liked that kind of music. It all told a specific story. And most of the stories their songs told were stories that we could identify with. Not because we were maybe in the same shape in the same conditions as they were, but we saw it more often in others around us. And so we kind of knew what was happening and could share it. Speaking of sharing things, we have a lot of things to share with you today. And I've got something I want to say in just a few minutes. But let me just tell you something special and specific today. The left mainstream leftist media and every Democrat, every single one are in all-out panic mode because Donald Trump didn't just win the Iowa caucuses. He smashed 
the Iowa caucuses. 51% of the people that voted for those four that were in that, four total, and Donald Trump won 51%. Of the 99 counties in Iowa, he won 98. And he lost the other one by one vote. That doesn't happen in Iowa. To, to be honest, doesn't happen anywhere else. So, I want to warn you, going forward every day, you are going to face a plethora of a barrage of anti-Trump stuff. The only way they can win in 2024, listen to this, the only way is if they get rid of Donald Trump. However they want to do it, however they'll try, hopefully they'll give up before they get so desperate that they do something desperate to get rid of Donald Trump. Boy, they have been doing so since even before he took office back in 2017. At 2016 election, it split the Democrat Party into little giblets. They're still trying to recover. And they look at Donald Trump and he's a threat to everything. And so they're just doing nothing now but sending out the attack dogs every day. It's going to be Trump's going to destroy the democracy. Trump's a liar. He's a cheater. He wants to destroy what the forefathers built this nation around. You're going to hear that so much, you're just going to want to flip over and change the channel. And it's because they have nothing of substance to offer to Americans except more and more and more of all the stuff they've thrown out and covered us up with that we don't accept. Instead of being at least smart enough to recognize where they are and where they have sent the nation, instead of doing that, just accepting that, and then make some changes, we don't care about Democrats or Republicans. We care about our government and that it remains what it was founded to be, not government of politicians, not government of Democrats or Republicans or independents, but to be the government of the people, by the people, that's you and me, and for the people, that also is for you and me. You know what a good leader always does? That good leader looks at the people that work for him or her, top to bottom, and he understands not just the 4 or 5% or maybe 10% that work at the top of the heap in that organization. A good leader looks first to the person down at the bottom and makes sure that person is getting the resources they need to do their job and that they're rewarded accordingly and fairly according to the structure of that organization. That's what a good leader is and what a good leader does. We don't have any of that in the White House today. We don't have a lot of it in Congress today. So in that scenario, let's just stop right there and say things are really bad. We don't have much good leadership 
in the nation, in our political system, our administration that's in charge now, our Congress, and the inhabitants of the Capitol building every day. We don't have a lot of positivity there. So, in the normal circumstance our forefathers laid out for us, guess what? We the people, we're the ones that must make the changes necessary to turn this nation back to what it was previously and that this administration in less than three years took us underwater in every area of every American's life. We got to change it. But if we don't change the elements within our lives as Americans, if we don't change those things that cause all this mess, Nothing's going to change about the outcome. And it's insane to even think that it would be possible. One quick example, CNN's John Berman. Yesterday, he pushed back against Biden campaign spokesman Michael Tyler about the Democrats' continued argument that former President Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. That's nothing, folks, other than a talking point, a Democrat leftist talking point. Tyler said President Joe Biden is prepared to take on whoever comes out of the Republican primary. Remember, Trump won Monday night a massive landslide. Nikki Haley, she came in third. Ron DeSantis was a close second. Ramaswamy, he actually, he dropped out of the race after the Iowa caucus count came in. To be frank, this guy, this spokesman for Joe Biden, Michael Tyler, said we're prepared to take on whoever emerges from the Republican primary. Now put that in the context of this. To be frank, there's very little distance between any of these candidates. This is what Michael Tyler said. There's very little distance but he forgot what he had said before and what everybody else is saying about Donald Trump. He's a threat to democracy. So the anchor stopped Berman, excuse me, stopped Michael Tyler and interjected this as they were talking. I've heard that from other Biden officials too. And I'm just curious about that. Does that undermine your argument you just expressed saying there's Very little difference between the candidates. Because on the one hand, you talk about Trump as a threat to democracy and has said that he wants to be a dictator and paint him as the unique outlier. But on the other hand, you say there's hardly any difference between Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. So does that undermine the first argument? Now, this is a conservative host. I got to say that. John Berman is a good host. Michael Tyler stepped into a pile of it when he opened this this can of worms because it's nothing more than the first Democrat Party talking point coming out after the first primary. And it wasn't even a primary, it was a caucus. They don't know what to do. 
Now, I told you I wanted to share something with you specifically. So we sit here today, and we can look back, look at our landscape and our nation of horrors that have been initiated by the Biden administration, Joe Biden's policies, and we can look back on that of Donald Trump's presidency. There's a compelling case to be made that his strong and bold leadership, not Joe's, but Trump's, that leadership left the world in a safer place and our nation and our people stronger than ever before. Nobody can credibly destroy that line that I just gave to you. You can't do it. Evidence proves it's accurate. Trump's domestic foreign policies, they had a positive impact on global stability. It wasn't just about us, it's for the rest of the world. At the same time, his policies, foreign and domestic here, weakened the world's leading sponsor of terror, the Islamic Republic of Iran. One big highlight of President Trump's presidency was the motto that he created. Remember this one, peace through strength. We also firsthand that when our commander-in-chief projects strength, and not just here, but around the world, it makes the world a safer place. We didn't see the record levels of these illegal border crossings happening during the Trump administration. We didn't see any wars in the Middle East or an emboldened Iran that now all but dictates Middle Eastern policy. Joe Biden's administration's many foreign policy failures, and they're piling up. They will not even admit them, let alone change anything. They've destabilized the world and portrayed nothing but weakness from us, the United States. That's a stark contrast to the leadership we saw under President Trump. Example, Trump took decisive action, specific, quick action, when he designated the Iran-backed Houthi rebels as a terrorist organization during his presidency. Less than a month into his term as commander-in-chief, Joe Biden removed the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels from the terrorist designation list. And look what's happening over there now. Oh, by the way, they they whispered yesterday they're going to put the Houthis back on the terror designation list. When you look at President Trump's foreign policy legacy, it's impossible to not mention the fact that he, Jared Kushner, David Friedman, and many others in the Trump administration brought peace to the Middle East without a single bullet being fired, not a single bomb being dropped. And I personally think Donald Trump is eligible and very deserving for the Nobel Peace Prize. Because of the Abraham Accords. Nobody thought, they thought he was stupid to even try. He had Arabs, Muslims that hate each other, and certainly hate Israel. They signed on to the Abraham Accords. And they had never, these countries had never been in agreement or ever signed anything that looked like peace between themselves. The Abraham Accords, that's a shining example of Trump's unorthodox 
but very effective approach to diplomacy. By brokering historic peace agreements between Israel and multiple of those Arab nations, Trump achieved what many deemed impossible and what many others said would start World War III. These accords, they don't only reshape the geopolitical landscape in the Middle East, but they also brought about newfound stability and cooperation in the entire region between governments, institutions, and, oh my God, citizens. When he was commander-in-chief, Trump's resolute military actions, they underscored his commitment to protect us all, all of our interests around the world, supporting our allies, and maintaining while you're doing all of that and by doing all of that, global peace. Remember that targeted uh, strike on Qasim Soleimani, a key figure in Iran's military? It showed a willingness to take decisive action against those who pose to be a threat to our security globally. This stance is seen by proponents as a crucial element and deterring potential adversaries. Where's Joe on this? Sadly, the United States has lost our deterrence and our seat at the leadership table as the new axis of evil, Russia, China, and the Islamic Republic of Iran has grown stronger than ever before. Economic prowess was yet another hallmark of Trump's administration. A strong U.S. economy had a ripple effect worldwide, It fostered stability in reducing the likelihood of any international conflicts. Prior to the COVID pandemic that originated in China, more news of that is out today, our nation experienced record low unemployment and robust economic expansion. Domestically, the national security measures implemented by the Trump administration, including very stringent immigration policies, a focus on securing our borders. Those were essential steps in safeguarding our nation against the bad actors who seek to destroy our nation and Joe's let millions of them flood across our southern border without even knowing who they are, what they were doing, where they're from. They don't bring papers over with them. They don't do that. The Mexican cartels take all the paperwork and identification from them, force them to give it up before they come over here because they don't want authorities in the United States to know who these people are so they can check them out before they let them in. Joe Biden not only lets that happen, he facilitates it by prioritizing the safety of us, all citizens. Trump aimed to create a more secure homeland contributing to a safer global environment. He aimed to do this, and his actions and policies ensured that he accomplished it. All of it that he could, the only part that he couldn't get done was because he couldn't get Congress to agree on the right things to do. Congress wanted to do everything strictly based on partisan politics. When you look at today's U.S., we have thousands of illegal immigrants coming through our border every single day, hundreds on the terrorist watch list. Those are the ones that have been apprehended. How many more of them are living right down the street from you or me? The 
the America First philosophy championed by Trump, it resonated with all of us who believe that prioritizing national interest is key to ensure the safety and the prosperity of the United States and that of our allies around the world. When we concentrate on domestic strength, ours, the U.S. is better positioned to address global challenges and lead with strength on the world stage. One thing is for sure. President Trump's peace through strength mantra, it led us to being safer at home, more respected than ever before on the world stage. The American people will take peace through strength versus President Biden's failed foreign policies every single day. Nobody knows better than the leadership on the left, top to bottom. Nobody knows better than they do that they've already lost the race. 2024 will belong once again to conservatives in America that represent the heartthrob of who we really are. Forget about the labels. Forget about the DEI and all the other three-letter things that they force us, those leftists force on the American people that make, in the most part, not one bit of sense. They've been caught with their pants down, and they know they've been caught now, and they can see the end of all of this control that they foisted on the world and the nation once again. They're going to see it all melt away. And I bet you, if Donald Trump pushes through all the attacks against him that he's dealing with right now, and he gets a chance to be the guy for the Republican Party on Election Day, we're going to see more and more American people that have learned living through Bidenomics, Bidenflation, and Biden illegal immigration. They're going to come running because they remember what Donald Trump did just as well as you and I. And they want it back. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What do you say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT. Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. Bingo! Limited time at participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu.
Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Lots of pontificating going on. It started right after the Iowa caucuses were over. You know, we're now in a in a generation, I guess, of when it's okay for people that are running for office at the national level to determine, yeah, if they're going to have a debate, I might, I might show up, but I might not. You know, I don't, I don't think we had any of that kind of stuff happen before COVID. Remember, it was done during COVID as a safety thing. You know, everybody's going to get COVID-19. By the way, more news, big news out about COVID-19 vaccines today. <laughs> You're going to have to stay with me the whole show. There's all kinds of important things we're covering today. Back to the uh, primaries, the debates. It's kind of normal now. They set up a whole string of debates. They agree on all the terms and conditions. The political parties and candidates are going to debate and then this one will pull out and this one will pull out and, well, if they're not going to be there, I'm not going to be there. On that note, guess what? ABC has announced it's canceling its New Hampshire Republican primary debate. In the release they put out, it says, our intent was to host a debate coming out of the Iowa caucuses, but we always knew that would be contingent on the candidates and the outcome of the caucuses. As a result, ABC said, while our robust election coverage will continue, ABC News and WMUR-TV will not be moving forward with Thursday's Republican presidential primary debate in New Hampshire. So what let this fuse? Well, it came after Nikki Haley tweeted this. We've had five great debates in this campaign. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has ducked all of them. He has nowhere left to hide. The next debate I do will either be with Donald Trump or with Joe Biden. I look forward to it. Of course, Haley's performance in several of those debates was anything but great. Still, that declaration from her is part of her strategy to make Republican primary a race between her and Trump. I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. That's what she said at the close of the Iowa caucuses. She said the Republican primary is a two-person race. Kind of insolent for her to leave out Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, beat her in the Iowa caucuses. That odd remark came despite her finishing third, trailing both Trump and DeSantis. Coincidentally, her actions prevent the head-to-head matchup between Trump and DeSantis coveted by many Republicans. And DeSantis, he didn't sit quietly. He said, Nikki Haley is afraid to debate. 
because she doesn't want to answer the tough questions, such as how she got rich off Boeing after giving them millions in taxpayer handouts when she was governor of South Carolina. The reality is she's not running for the nomination. She's running to be Trump's vice president. Now DeSantis is tweeting this. I won't snub New Hampshire voters like both Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, and I plan to honor my commitments. I look forward to debating two empty podiums in the Granite State this week. The end result of all the Republican gamesmanship is they have to set the table for Joe Biden to refuse to debate the eventual party nominee. A major plus for Biden, given the 81-year-old geriatric president's cognitive challenges. Oh, my gosh. I can You know what I, I would love to see? I'd love to see Joe Biden try to debate two empty chairs with a debate monitor asking questions. He'd probably lose that one. And speaking of Joe Biden, David Axelrod, he is formerly the Democrat Party's number one go-to guy on everything political regarding the presidency. He didn't mince words after Donald Trump's big win the other night. He said it's time for Team Biden to pick up their game against the formidable GOP frontrunner. That's his word, formidable. The shock from Trump's dominant performance was still sinking in in CNN when Barack Obama's former top strategist appeared on Tuesday's edition of CNN This Morning where the panel talked about the previous night's contest. I don't know if you saw it, but it was epic. The president and his campaign need to get into gear. They need a message, Axelrod said. He delivered a kick to the pants of the geriatric Democrat and his staffers. They need a message that takes in not just democracy, but the day-to-day concerns that people have, and they need to prosecute it every single day through every single surrogate, he added. He was recommending very strongly that Biden needs to expand his argument for re-election beyond his crazed demagoguery against Trump and Trump supporters. Let's all be aware, and Trump proved again yesterday, he's not a normal candidate. He's a pretty formidable candidate, Axelrod added. And now he's on the ballot. Much like Chris Christie, the very unpopular Biden has become a one-issue candidate. His cranky tirades about saving democracy from Trump, who he's characterized as the second coming of Hitler, even as his poll numbers continue to plummet with all Americans being battered by a prolonged period of high prices. Whether or not Axelrod's call for better messaging includes the pain in the pocketbook that voters are reminded of each and every time we go to the grocery store, it's unclear. But what is clear is that gaslighting about the miracles of Bidenomics isn't selling at all to regular people and even wealthy people. You know, the ones that you excoriated while you were campaigning for president, and then when you took your term in the White House, you just started ripping all of the promises and the plans that you told them you were going to do, you ripped them apart and blew them up. And even those rich people 
that you demeaned when you were campaigning, they're hollering for your head because your Bidenomics is tearing them up as well. Axelrod had previously been critical of Biden sticking with the ridiculous term Bidenomics that shows signs of becoming a liability as budgets continue to be battered. They just put out another photo op with the Bidenomics sign next to him. It's just unbelievable to me, Axelrod said during a December episode of the Hacks on Tap podcast, which he hosts with fellow Obama regime alumni Robert Gibbs and political consultant, consultant Mike Murphy. Axelrod was among a number of former aides from Obama's 2012 re-election campaign who sniped at Biden during a recent big meeting in Chicago. The vibe was that the campaign didn't have its shit together, said one unnamed Democrat of the mood at the gathering. There wasn't infrastructure in the states. There wasn't a beefed-up campaign headquarters. And compared to where Obama was in 2011, the campaign looked fairly anemic. There's a treasure trove of experience in that White House. I mean, one of the issues is it's all in the White House. And they're quoting Axelrod, seeming to suggest that a, a shakeup is needed. Probably some of it should be sitting over at the campaign. Now, some folks might be inclined to suspect that Axelrod's remarks are a sign that Obama's getting antsy over Biden's horrid poll numbers and the possibility that a Trump return to the White House could see the federal legal machine turned against him now that the precedent has been established. They're sweating it, folks. They are sweating. I want you to hear from some people, several people. Sorry about that. Lost the microphone for a sec. I want you to hear from some of the people that are involved in all this stuff in this election season, both sides of the aisle, by the way. But this one particularly is about Republicans. Laura Ingram weighed in last night about her perspective on the things that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis need to do. It's time for them to do some serious soul searching. If beating Joe Biden is really their goal, then it's time for some serious soul searching by Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Now, let's start with DeSantis. He outperformed last night. He beat Nikki Haley's war chest. So he has a lot to be proud of. As a candidate on the trail, he worked his butt off. And people forget how young he is. So with, what, three more years as Florida's governor, he can build an even greater track record of success in that very important state. So a future in the Republican Party for him could be really bright. But he's simply not going to be president this time around. I know it's hard to hear. You worked really hard for it. It's not happening. Trump is simply too powerful and has endured too much. Voters aren't going to turn their backs on him at this point. And every day that Ron DeSantis stays on the campaign trail criticizing Trump is a day that hurts Ron DeSantis's political future. DeSantis made a big mistake. We've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. He had a perfect opportunity. You remember 
that when he was running for president, uh, excuse me, running for governor in Florida, he was way, way, way behind. Donald Trump came in. He literally came in and campaigned across Florida for Ron DeSantis. And he won by a landslide. He was 18 points behind before Donald Trump came down to help him. It was just realistic to think that there was going to be a time for Ron DeSantis on a national level. And honestly, I think he's missing his opportunity. It was a perfect plan. We talked about it here. I think every Republican talked about it, thought it was a really good thing. Think we could have, could have 2024 if those two had run as a pair. Donald Trump is president, Ron DeSantis is vice president, and DeSantis gets on board and actually learns from a leader that has been more successful than any president in my lifetime on the domestic and the foreign policies all at the same time. Nobody's done nearly as good a job as Donald Trump. It's insolent that DeSantis felt like he could step up and do a better job than Donald Trump did. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Think about it. We could have had Donald Trump as president, Ron DeSantis as vice president. DeSantis learns he's tootled underneath the so-called expert in politics, Donald Trump, for four years. Trump's out. He can't run again. But Ron DeSantis could. He could do two terms as president. That way we would have had three terms. Donald Trump, one year. Ron DeSantis, two. And he still hasn't learned his lesson. He could do really, really well if he do a sit-down with somebody that he knows and trusts that'll be straight with him. It may not be too late. Let me tell you somebody who made a really good choice. Ramaswamy, after the Iowa caucus results were announced, he very graciously announced that he was suspending, he was canceling, he was not going to move forward in his run for the presidency. And he reached out immediately to Donald Trump and pledged his support to former President Trump. They're actually together in New Hampshire today. Now, what does that mean? I don't know what it means about maybe Ramaswamy is trying to get the VP position in a Trump administration. That really doesn't matter. What it reveals is the character and the chutzpah of Ramaswamy because he realizes and accepts facts. He didn't bow to the politicians and the politically corrupt crap. Remember, he didn't buy in on any of that when he was campaigning. Of course, he was in last place at the debate the other night. I mean, at the caucus, we get that. But he 
is successful in business, tremendously successful in business, because he understands the process. And the political process, if it's run properly, it mirrors the private operation of entities. Probably 90% of it can overlap each other. Ramasamy, he watched Donald Trump when Trump was making billions and he just moved it across into politics, all that stuff that made him successful over there. Now, it's not 100%. It's going to be different. We all know that when you throw the political element into it. It's got to be different. But Ramaswamy picked up on the structure, the fundamental, the girding of how to be good and successful. Put those two together. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to lie. Just be who you are to Americans. Sell that to the American people. Remember Donald Trump, 2016, he'd never even stepped foot into a, uh, a candidacy, a campaign of any kind. No, political, uh, no politicization at all. But he knew, he knew that if he got the chance, he could take the, the, uh, all the elements that he had learned and functioned in and operated well with in business and transpose those over leadership. Ramaswamy has the same story to tell. Now, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, they're the rags that are left now. Their days are numbered. And yeah, I said that. Let's move on. Joe Manchin, he's up in New Hampshire. Joe Manchin, Democrat, dying on the vine, wasn't going to be reelected in West Virginia. He's the only Democrat in the whole state of West Virginia. He saw the writing on the wall. He decided he was going to test the water, and he's been talking about possibly running as an independent, and he won't say if it's going to be Democrat, Republican, or independent. But he told everybody when he decided that he wasn't going to run again for the Senate, he told everybody, I don't I don't want to vote for Trump. In fact, he said that this morning. I heard him myself. I can't vote for Donald Trump. And, of course, he's got a a past, documented past, that's not good in his relationship with uh, Joe Biden. He calls himself still still a moderate. He continues to tease this third-party run in the election. He's often found himself at odds with Joe Biden and the left-wing zealots that are driving his Green New Deal agenda. And he was accosted by the pack of climate brats at the Dairy Eatery yesterday, Dairy, New Hampshire. Members of the D.C.-based group Climate Defiance, they got in front of him, front of him. They got in his eyes, in his face. They were boasting that they chased him out of the restaurant, causing him to flee the premises by way of the kitchen. And they had a video of it they, they put up, and they posted it on Twitter. Big update, big update. We just found Joe Manchin yet again in a diner. We swarmed the diner. We took it over. We seized control. We shut him down so hard he had to flee through the kitchen. We will not walk like sheep to slaughter. 
We will not stand down. Respect us or expect us, they wrote. In that footage, Manchin is seen speaking to customers, presumably about issues including border security when the young, mostly male Climate Defiance members began badgering him with chants of off fossil fuels, Manchin, off fossil fuels as they caused a major disruption before the pests were shooed out by the cops. Single largest recipient of oil and gas money, Manchin, blowtarches our planet and gloats. He chairs the Senate Energy Committee and uses this role to protect his personal coal company. He earns more income from this coal company than he does from his Senate salary. And it shows. That's a tweet posted by Climate Defiance. If you look closely, you'll see Joe Manchin dancing to the beat as we chant off fossil fuels, the group tauntingly said in another clip of Manchin from the incident. That Manchin was in the Granite State. That likely only furthers the buzz about a renegade White House run. According to one Fox Business report, the senator plans to meet with Biden to attempt him to move to the center. Can you see Joe Biden going for that? It's likely futile with it being even an election year and the octogenarian career politician badly needed to keep the most extreme elements of the Democrat base in his corner. He can't lose anybody. We came of age in a time of great tumult, a global pandemic, a deadly assault on democracy, mass shootings with our morning coffee. That's what Climate Defiance states on their website. And hovering above it all, an existential crisis that threatens every fiber of every being in every corner of the world. We aim not to work within the current political reality. We aim to change it. You know what? Good for you. Good for you. We like to see the democratic process work in politics in this nation Everybody can, and most everybody does, have their political perspective. You take care of yours, don't diminish or try to diminish, and don't demean others that aren't like-minded peaceably. Converse with them, debate with them, but don't just automatically intimate that others around you that have a different opinion are evil or they're stupid. The Democrat Party that you're pushing out against as well, they think that. They think everybody that's not a Democrat that doesn't think like they do, they think we're all idiots. Quite honestly, I think these people are pretty much idiots. What else is happening that we need to get to? I mentioned in the opening part of the show today, that there's more news out about COVID-19 and where it came from and what's going on. Listen to this story. A Chinese lab, they won't say which one it is, but it could be Wuhan, creates mutant COVID-19 strain with 100% rapid kill rate in mice that have been humanized. This is unreal. Chinese scientists are experimenting with a mutant COVID-19 strain. They say it's 100% deadly to humanize mice. 
when the exposed to mice process happens, engineered to reflect similar genetic makeup as humans. When that happens, the COVID-19 strain, I'm going to give you the last part of the name and you're going to you're going to hear this more and more. COVID-19 GXPSV. When exposed to it, it attacked the mice's lungs, bones, eyes, trachea, and brains. All the mice, every one of them, subsequently died within just eight days. In the days before their deaths, the mice had quickly lost weight, exhibited a hunched posture, moved extremely sluggishly. Most eerie of all, their eyes turned completely white the day before they died. This study is reportedly the first to discover a 100% mortality rate in mice for any COVID-19 strain, but the study doesn't give us any indication as to how the mutated strain would impact humans. Scientists, of course, they're still worried. This underscores a spillover risk of GXP2V COVID into humans and provides a unique model for understanding the pathogenic mechanisms of SARS-CoV-2 related viruses. GXP2V is reportedly a mutated version of GX2017. That's a COVID strain discovered in Malaysian pangolins back in 2017. Since the study's been published, a number of other scientists have cried foul They argued this was a pointless and potentially deadly study. And you know why? What can a evil company, country, what can they do to their political, military, any any kind of foe, a country that they don't get along with, a people they don't get along with? If you can take a COVID-19 strain, isolate it, and weaponize it to use against your political foes. Yeah, I know. That's scary. And I can tell you, if it, even if it never happens, we're going to see TV shows, movies, that take that concept and blow it up and use it to scare the bejesus out of all of us. You know, one thing, one, excuse me. What in the heck was that? One thing about bad news in our public eye, it's weaponized against people all the time. And when there's something that is fear, fearful and sounds scary and it's going to do something bad to us, somebody always seems to find a way to use that as a weapon against their political foes or their enemies. Fear is one thing that's hard to overcome, and especially when you don't know what it is. You just know maybe in people around you, people are dying, getting very, very sick, and it's because of that one thing, and you don't know where it came from. You don't know what it is when it gets there. It just kills people. I can see in this world today with Xi Jinping and also... North Korean leader weaponizing that very thing to use against their political foes. 
We've got our eyes on this. We're going to watch for you. It will develop, I promise. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like... And finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. song being played in college. Bands would play that during a break in a basketball or football game and everybody would stand up and sing along. There's nothing to sing. But we all recognize it. Back back to politics a bit. Billionaire Bill Ackman has warned Democrats that if they insist on running Joe Biden as their candidate, he's going to be crushed by guess who? Donald Trump. Ackman is a big investor, a huge hedge fund manager. He reacted to Trump's dominating win in Monday's Iowa caucuses, where he took the state by that historic margin that shows his support is stronger than ever, despite his legal issues and his years of propaganda against him. In a Tuesday post to X, formerly known as Twitter, Ackman said that if Biden is the Democrat nominee, he'll get his clock cleaned by the resurgent former president. If you haven't figured it out already, it's now abundantly clear that Donald Trump is going to crush Joe Biden, he wrote. If the Democrat Party wants to have a chance of putting up a candidate who can compete with Trump, it needs to quickly get behind a strong, credible contender for president. And Joe Biden needs to step aside. So Ackman has gotten behind the guy named Dean Phillips. He's in Congress. He's a representative in the House. And he's a Democrat from Minnesota. He is challenging the toxic octogenarian, that would be Joe Biden, in the primaries. And he shares an ex-spaces conversation with the Minnesota lawmaker that he hosted with the candidate, along with fellow billionaire Elon Musk. Saying that Phillips is that candidate, Ackman said. He's super smart, highly experienced, successful in business and politics. He's a moderate, appealing to both Republicans and Democrats. The Democrat Party and Joe Biden are heading toward a a train wreck. We need to pull the train off the tracks now. 
So the Pershing Square Capital Management CEO, he recently said he's going to give Phillips $1 million in his long shot bid to replace Biden. Now you put that $1 million in the context of Joe Biden's uh, campaign already has well over $100 million in cash. I just wanted to bring that to you that this guy is running. He doesn't have a snowball's chance of any place to make a dent in what Democrats' plans are. And that, of course, is to return Joe Biden to the White House. Just wanted to make sure you knew who this guy is and this candidate Phillips is out there so you can just keep an eye open. When we have very big issues, especially in politics, that we wonder why things are happening, why people are doing this or not doing that, we turn to people that are really credible experts. One of those, in my opinion, it's the guy that I trust the most when it comes down to pure politics, is Victor Davis Hanson. And Victor Davis Hanson, one of the reasons he's so good, in my opinion, is that he just gives you the facts. It's not like he's running political operations and is using politics to make a living. He's not. But he weighed in on this latest Trump thing that happened up in Iowa with some good advice and some things that we all need to look at and understand at least, even if we disagree. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, We will keep an eye on that. There is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses. A relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Trying to silence the GOP frontrunner after he won the first major test of the 2024 election. Okay, you can't make this up. This is from the pro-democracy crowd. So my question tonight is, what happens in the general election? Are we only going to hear from Biden when they roll him out? Joining me now, Victor Davis Hanson, Hoover Institution senior fellow. Victor, I was in that room when Trump was speaking last night. And if they bothered to listen to him, he was actually saying, I want to work with Democrats to save the cities. I'll work with anybody to save the cities. These are great cities. And they don't want to hear that, because what does that do, Victor? Well, you know, I think they think that the more they have the bias coverage and the more they spread falsities about Trump, they're like straws on the proverbial Trump camelback. They can finally just overwhelm him. But in fact, as we've seen the last year or two, the opposite is true. The more they lie and they do not apologize and they do not correct the record and the more they're found out, the less credibility they have and the more popularity Donald Trump had in the primaries. And I think that's going to extend to the general election because they can't stop. They have a Trump fix. They're like an addict. And they know it's not helping them, but they can't stop it because they're addicted to it. And so they're going to continue what you saw last night all through the next year. And I think what little credibility they have left will be shot, and it's going to help Donald Trump. You know, I think we forget that without these media 
people, the whole January 6 armed insurrection or the, most of the lies about the origins of COVID and social distancing and masking or the circumstances of George Floyd's death and the rioting that happened, not to mention disinformation on the laptop or Russian collusion, all of that wouldn't have had any resonance. They fabricated, constructed, exaggerated all of that. And yet it didn't destroy Donald Trump. He's got the most amazing political comeback in American political history. And I think that's How do you not cover this? The, the news media's bias. Yeah, but I, I, again, it, they keep backing up and running faster into a brick wall. They kind of tiptoed toward the wall and they bumped their head and they backed up. They went a little faster. A little. Now they're running at full speed. And at some point they're going to knock themselves out, Victor. And it, it just, I, I, I mean, I don't know who they think is voting. I mean, these are real Americans who are really supporting Trump. So I guess it just confirms what everyone thinks, that these people literally hate, despise the caucus vo voters, the goers in Iowa. They despise them because they're racist, they're too white, they're this or that. They hate them. Well, they do. We've known that for a long time. I mean, look at the vocabulary they've used. Clingers from Obama and then chumps and dregs from Biden, deplorables, irredeemables. And lately people like Chris Matthews have been warning us about the dangerous rural people. So they've always despised them. But, you know, now they have a new narrative that Trump is a dictator. He's going to have revenge, retribution. That shows that, that they're really scared that nobody's listening to their lies anymore. And they're afraid that it's, had the, it's counterproductive. And now they're, all they can say is Trump might get elected and he might do this and this. He might do what we would do if we were in his position and had suffered from us. So it's a, it's a projection. and it, it, it reflects weakness, not strength. I think they've had, I don't think they have much credibility and they're losing the independent, they're no. losing uh, minority voters because of the line and the falsity. But isn't it strange that all of these leftist media experts, they all consider themselves to be experts. They are in the media, but they consider themselves to know more than anybody else. They go way past the point where we say, we disagree with you. That's where they start. We end there because conservatives typically, not always, but typically conservatives, when they get in a conversation with somebody on the left and you have a real conversation and you discuss issues, they'll never agree with you, but they go nuts when they find out you will not agree with them. That's what we're seeing. You just heard at the top of that soundbite there, you heard two different networks explain why they're so good, they're so honest, that they're not going to put Donald Trump's statements, speech or whatever, on their air because he never speaks the truth. They're the speech arbiters. They've taken control or they have attempted to take control of what everybody thinks, not says or does, but what everybody thinks about any political issue. And don't you dare disagree with them in any way, even quietly. You've got to be all in or they'll just throw you to the trash pile. You remember Tulsi Gabbard, former 
member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Hawaii, longtime service in the military. She actually made a short run for the presidency. Listen to what she says that the Democrats did to her. You remember she changed her party affiliation after she left Congress and after she ran for president. Listen to her explanation of what Democrats did to her. I'll tell you a brief personal story. Two weeks after Trump was elected in 2016, I was invited to go and speak to him about foreign policy, about how to defeat radical Islam and terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And just for meeting with Trump, almost all Democrats in Congress and those on TV resoundingly criticized me for humanizing Trump. How dare you? And they were so angry about this because it directly undermined what they were trying to do in dehumanizing Trump and everyone who voted for him, the so-called deplorables, because they couldn't defeat him on substance. They think they have the arbitrary, unilateral message to the world about everything, every issue, and every person in politics. And if you don't agree with them, oh my gosh, they just X you off. You saw those two networks. They wouldn't put Trump's speech after the Iowa caucuses the other night. They wouldn't air his speech, even said and explained why they were not going to put it up there. And they demeaned and diminished Trump. He's not worthy to be on our network. And both of those networks combined had just barely over 2 million people combined watching their video coverage of the caucuses. Now, 2 million in a nighttime in a prime spot on a national, international cable news program. That is a huge, disastrous loss of numbers. They still think they're the enlightened ones. Do you think they're going to keep this up? Are they ever going to turn and make a turn and make a change and hopefully find some different results that they feel like they have control over right now. But every day they're getting more and more afraid because they're watching this administration implode. You know what nobody's talking about is all the other stuff that's going on behind the scenes, the bad stuff. What's going on over in the Middle East? What's Joe Biden doing about the military attacks that are ongoing almost daily against us? and against some of our allies on their ships in the Red Sea. When we have this political stuff that comes up, a debate, a caucus, for two or three days, all that is covered up. Nobody wants to talk about it. And then even back home domestically, we have a lot of stuff going on that we need to stay on top of it. Another bombshell about Hunter Biden. First of all, I think the most important thing to inform you of today is for the very first time yesterday, the Department of Justice, Joe Biden's Department of Justice, verified the fact that Hunter Biden's laptop is really Hunter Biden's laptop. They're the only ones on the planet that didn't know that. And they knew it, but they hid it and had to use it politically to protect the Biden family for these years. And now there's another bombshell, Hunter exposure. 
Evidence said to have been literally found on Hunter's gun pouch compounded his own alleged countless incriminating statements about himself, according to a new filing yesterday. Following his federal indictment, it charged him with making a false and fictitious statement about his use and his addiction to drugs when buying a firearm. Biden's legal team had attempted to get the weapons charges dismissed. They made a motion that claimed the United States was conducting selective and vindictive prosecution, was deftly rebutted yesterday as special counsel David Weiss's team responded with that motion with a 52-page opposition. It details how the FBI was said to have found cocaine on the gun pouch that Hunter kept his firearm in. (laughs) How stupid is this guy? And Joe Biden said he's the smartest person he's ever known. (laughs) Cocaine on a gun pouch. And the gun was purchased illegally. To be clear, investigators literally found drugs on the pouch where the defendant had kept his gun. That's in the motion they filed. Leading up to that, the court document detailed in 2023, FBI investigators pulled sealed evidence from the state police vault to take photographs of the defendant's firearm. After they opened the evidence, FBI investigators observed a white powdery substance on the defendant's brown leather pouch that had held the defendant's firearm in October of 2018. So, of course, somebody put it there. Somebody else had it, and it got on that gun pouch, right? The story continues. Based on their training and experience, investigators believe this substance was likely cocaine and that this evidence would corroborate the messages that investigators had obtained, which showed that the defendant buying and using drugs back in October of 2018. An FBI chemist subsequently analyzed the residue, determined cocaine. The legal team further used Biden's own words against him as they referenced his 2021 memoir, Beautiful Things, which they said contained countless incriminating statements about his years-long drug uses. The defendant's choice to sell that book containing those omissions not only made the government's case against him stronger, but it also increased the potential prosecution's general deterrence value. Prompting the response from the special counsel was an argument from Biden's attorney, Abby Lowell, that his client was a victim of selective and vindictive prosecution as a result of him being the son of President Joe Biden. This is what Abby Lowell wrote. Based on the facts and laws, if Hunter's last name was anything other than Biden, the charges in Delaware and now California would not have been brought. Lowell had claimed referencing the indictment on nine federal tax charges as well as the gun charges. So in response to that argument, Tuesday's filing said, contrary to Abby Lowell's assertion, he has not established that the special counsel appointed by and serving at the pleasure of President Biden and his attorney general is punishing the defendant for the perceived sins 
of his father in order to capitulate to a former president because of his tweets. This theory is a fiction designed for a Hollywood script. Having also knocked down claims of a breach of separation of powers, the special counsel ultimately concluded the defendant's motion is meritless and should be denied without any evidentiary hearing. Now, we'll have to see if they do that, but honestly, the judge is going to look at anything that they come up with, knowing the facts right there are so obvious, and they became public in all of his interviews that he did. Remember when Hunter Biden talked about his own drug problems? I'll never forget what he said He was when he was hooked on crack. He said he would get down on the floor, on the carpet, looking for anything that he could put in that crack pipe and smoke. And he, in his book, talked about it happening at the same time he had that gun and that brown gun pouch had cocaine in it. Smartest man I've ever known. <laughs> That's what his daddy says. So speaking of Hunter, you know, we uh, we know he had several millions of dollars in IRS debt, had no way to pay it, couldn't pay it, didn't pay it, but then he had somebody step in and helped him out. A good friend, that, that guy Kevin Morris, he set up a pretty unusual payment structure for about $875 of the tax bill and a little more. And they set up that art purchase process. This is just wonderful to hear. Hunter appeared to use his very substantial art sales to pay off the loan debt that he owed to his fixer who paid off Hunter's overdue taxes and even went beyond that, funding Hunter's pretty lavish lifestyle. Hunter's art gallerist, George Burgess, testified before the House Oversight and Judiciary Committee, described to the lawmakers how Hunter and his financier, Hollywood attorney Kevin Morris and good friend, used an $875,000 art sale to allow Hunter to pay back loan debt that he owed to Morris. Now that comes from a transcript. Burgess told lawmakers Hunter knew Morris purchased $875,000 worth of Hunter's art out of his $1.5 million in sales, and of that $875,000 is sold to Kevin Morris, correct? Burgess was asked, that's correct. And he knows that Kevin Morris was a buyer of his art, right? I assume so, Burgess said. Burgess recalled Morris having a large art collection in his house that included a piece Hunter Biden made that Burgess did not sell. Burgess said he did not tell Hunter that Morris bought his art, but that Hunter knew about Morris's purchase because of the debt payment arrangement. Hunter did know because of, he did know because instead of, he did know because I think that's, I'm quoting, I'm quoting this guy, all of the repeats. He did know, because I think it went against his payment against the debt that he owed Hunter, that Hunter owed him. 
So they had to have known who it was, yes. So he did know. Burgess said that under oath before Congress. Committee Chairman James Comer revealed Morris's purchase in a January 9th press release. That followed Burgess's testimony. Morris has been identified as the third-party benefactor responsible for paying off roughly $2 million of Hunter Biden's overdue taxes. Now, wait a minute. Let me think this through with you for a second. So Hunter, Hunter painted those things. Have you seen any of them? I wouldn't put one on the floor of a dog cage, let alone play or even more that came out of those uh, art sales that Hunter used to pay off that debt. But let let me just ask this question. So Hunter owned the art. He gets it on consignment at this art dealer, and it sells for $875,000, and that was to pay off his lawyer buddy, Kevin Morris. And then... Hunter paid that on his outstanding $2 million tax deal. Did Hunter pay the taxes on the $875,000 that he got that is taxable? Nobody's even mentioned that. I just thought of that while we were talking about this. Hunter's failed guilty plea agreement with the Department of Justice indicated a third party paid $2 million of Hunter's overdue taxes. Doesn't name the third party, but it's Kevin Morris. Hunter's uncle and business partner, James Biden, thanked Morris on behalf of the family for assisting Hunter. That's according to a memo from 2022 in an interview of James by federal investigators. Morris, by the way, paid $4.9 million of Hunter's personal expenses from 2020 to 2022, and he did it through loans and gifts. IRS whistleblower Joseph Ziegler testified December 5th that those actually were factually found out and discovered, those numbers. The IRS whistleblower provided documents to the House Ways and Means Committee that showed Morris was aware of the risk represented by Hunter's alleged overdue taxes and worked in early 2020 to get them sorted out. Also, Morris appears to have taken on Hunter Biden's stake in Chinese private equity firm BHR Partners. Morris is reportedly funding Hunter's mounting legal bills right now, advocating for an aggressive legal strategy against his political opponents. Morris is also funding a documentary about Hunter Biden's life. I wonder who's going to play the starring role in that. I think they can go to Hollywood and find some good candidates that can do a good job. The subject of Hunter Biden using his art sales to Morris to pay off his debt to him came up again later in Burgess's testimony. I think they had an arrangement. This is Burgess talking. Because I didn't pay Hunter Biden his commission, the artist commission, because it was a dealt, that's how I remember that yet, to have known that he was the buyer because normally the gallery would then write a check for the artist commission, but I didn't. 
Burgess testified. So I just got paid for my portion, for the gallery's portion. And they negotiated there. So, like, let's say there is, you know, a dollar and I get 40 and Hunter Biden gets 60. We negotiated this deal. I got paid for my stuff. And then that portion was because they dealt with how they're going to instead of me, instead of him waiting for me to pay him. They were going to settle it together. And Burgess went on to explain the unusual nature of Morris and Hunter's payment system where Morris paid the 40% cut to the gallery instead of allowing the gallery to receive all of the funds and distribute them accordingly. Now, listen to all these numbers in this process. It's important. Burgess was unsure if Hunter received 60% of Morris's $875,000 purchase or if they negotiated a different number. Burgess could not say whether there was tax documentation of the purchase. The normal protocol is he, they want to buy a piece. He should refer them to the gallery, and the gallery executes the sale. Burgess said he negotiated the sale with Kevin Morris. Hunter was not involved in their discussions. Burgess and Morris have not spoken for over a year since the art sale. Morris said next to Hunter when the first son made a surprise appearance at the House Oversight Committee's markup hearing on whether to hold him in contempt for skipping a deposition December 13th in defiance of congressional subpoenas. This is from Hunter, quote, let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not my investments at home or abroad, and certainly not as an. And then he shut up. That was from Hunter's press conference on December 13th. Hunter and his team left the hearing as Republican Georgia Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene prepared to speak. Afterwards, he went back to California where he pleaded not guilty to nine federal tax charges. Now, I wanted you to follow with me through that conversation. You know, the old adage, follow the money. Who got paid? Who got the money? The $875,000 that was reportedly what Hunter was getting for the sale of, I don't know how many paintings were included in that. But there was over $2 million aggregate that came for selling these paintings. So whoever owned those paintings, whoever got that money initially, there's a tax liability that goes with that. Pretty serious tax liability, $2 million. I mean, somebody that's got $2 million and they they spend it on paintings, you can't write that off. So it's all taxable. And a guy like Hunter Biden and his economic standing, I imagine, especially this happened when he was living in California, 50% of that's going to go to the various taxes involved, federal, state, and local. I wonder if Hunter paid that. That would be about another million dollars. Just saying, I'm just thinking things through. I'm not intimating there's anything there. But I, I would think... 
if they had taken care of all of the new tax liability, it would have come up in all this stuff that we're hearing about the numbers and the dollars and cents that went through Hunter Biden's hands. And just so you know, if you don't already, the IRS never goes away. They're going to stay with you and make sure every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and they've gotten every dollar from you that they possibly can. We're going to take another break now, but listen when we come back. Anthony Blinken. You know, I'm talking about our Secretary of State, one of the most feckless people in government in decades. He's the boss now of the State Department. And he weighed in yesterday over something that I think he should never have even opened his mouth about. I don't think it's in his purview to do so. And we're going to talk about that. Anthony Blinken up next at TNN Live. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just 649. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus. of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. No identity politics, no political elitism. Read and hear the truth, always sourced from facts. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. I'm sure you heard the 
anti-Israeli sycophants in our own government. They work for the United States of America. There's a huge number of people inside the Biden administration. They were going to stage a walkout yesterday. Hundreds of government employees in nearly two dozen agencies planned to be no-shows at work yesterday. I've not gotten the final numbers of what actually did happen. Antony Blinken weighed in, the savior of every every person that feels disenfranchised by anybody else about anything. So he went public yesterday, making it known that he wants those government workers to feel comfortable after walking off their jobs yesterday to take part in a protest. What he did was essentially gave the green light during an interview when he was asked about reports that hundreds of those employees were planning to be no-shows at work yesterday. In observance of the 100 days of conflict between Israel and Hamas terrorists in Gaza, a day of mourning was scheduled by the group Feds United for Peace. And while the sentiment of many on social media regarding the planned walkout and no-show event was that the employees should be fired, Blinken had a different take. Now, before I tell you what his take was, what the law says, they're federal employees and they walk out, not only are they to be fired, they're to be prosecuted. A federal employee not showing up for work with no legitimate reason or purpose and a political walk-off is not legitimate. It's a criminal act, a federal criminal act. Anthony Blinken appeared to be okay with people expressing themselves, even if the American taxpayers got to foot the bill for that day off. The institution that I want to have is a place where people feel comfortable doing that. Blinken talking to CNBC from Davos, Switzerland. He was referring to the questions and criticisms State Department employees have brought in response to the administration's stand on the Israeli situation. They ultimately have to be on the job and do their jobs. But the main thing is this. People feel the need to speak up and speak out, Blinken added, not directly answering the question about whether walking off the job is honorable. That's a cherished part of our democracy. It's a cherished part of, in my view, of patriotism. He was speaking to Squawk Box, the co-anchor there, Andrew Ross Sorkin. But people also need to be on the job. Do the job. Look, we see this across many administrations, Blinken continued. I haven't. I've never seen any big federal employee walkouts. The only one I saw or remember is that of the uh, traffic control people that work for the federal government that keep our airports and our commercial and private flights safe. They went out, they pulled out, they walked off. When Ronald Reagan was president, they all did that at one time. You know what Ronald Trump did? He fired them all on one day. These guys? Nah. As it turned out, the planned protest was a moot point. 
since all federal offices were closed yesterday because of the snowstorm and the horribly low temperatures across the nation. The plan evidently was to anonymously stay home and not necessarily walk off the job. Unbike Blinken, House Speaker Mike Johnson was more than clear about the consequences for federal workers. Here's what he said. Any government worker who walks off the job to protest U.S. support for our ally Israel is ignoring their responsibility and abusing the trust of taxpayers. He tweeted that. Oversight Chairman Comer and I will be working together to ensure that each federal agency operates normally. They deserve to be fired. I'll be working together to ensure that each agency initiates any appropriate disciplinary proceedings against any person who does not go to work. Interesting different takes from different people. It's like Antony Blinken, and he's so feckless. I hear him give these speeches and answer these questions in interviews, and I just I shake my head. I can't believe our Secretary of State is so stupid about things that Secretary of States are supposed to be dealing with and positions they're supposed to be taking, representing the United States of America, not their personal opinions and pontifications. You can have every right to do that, but do it outside your job. Your job has nothing to do with what's acceptable for people. I don't care who they work for to do on their jobs. The Secretary of State, the State Department, all the people that work in the Biden administration, they're employees of the American people. And some unelected bureaucrat does not have any authority when it comes to personnel issues. They don't. They don't work for the State Department. They work for the people of the United States. What is this world coming to? What are we living in? We've heard a lot lately about the crazy stuff in our American military, especially with the debacle about our Secretary of Defense disappearing for a couple of weeks. Nobody knew what was going on, where he was, and we were on the verge of a nuclear war. We get into the discussion now of the horrible aftermath of things going on in our government regarding DEI and other leftist talking points and programs. This one came up. I was blown away when I saw this and looked at it and listened to it. Google has actually come up and published a training video about DEI, DEI training for people in the government. And I downloaded it. This guy doing a, uh, a video indoctrination of DEI and how it works. This is the very process that our Secretary of Defense shoved down the throats of every member of the United States military. And Google, by the way, is the largest company in the world They're the ones that created this training video. 
And you know what the number one thing that was revealed in the Google DEI training video is? Anti-white, anti-white indoctrination. If you're watching on YouTube right now, there is an algorithm that decides whether you're subscribed to this show or not, whether you're going to be put into the feed on any given day and see my show, what, what is next to it on suggested videos. And if they, if they want you to, oh, you're watching Dave Rubin, we think you're thinking a little too much like Dave Rubin, we can get you to think a whole bunch of other things by clicking here and you go, well, all right, that's what the algorithm does. Except the issue is that the algorithm and Google's entire Google, which is the most powerful company in the history of the world, is now, has now fully embraced diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check this video out. This is Google's DEI workplace training program. It's called Racism, White People's Role and Responsibility. If you had been taught equality from the beginning, you wouldn't be flipping out, but that's how hegemonic dominance works. And so I think that's why it happens. And we have to be willing to talk about that because it's really unhealthy. This white anxiety is a public health crisis in that regard. And that's why, you know, not only we were talking in the other room a minute ago before we came in here, you know, that, that it's not just the opioid crisis that we think about with folks killing themselves disproportionately, increasingly white working class folks who are, um, you know, using heroin or using over-the-counter uh, opioids, um, but they're political opioids. Turning to a candidate who says, you vote for me and I will take away your pain. I will bring back those jobs. I will make your life better. That's a form of an opiate as well. Okay, so what's the point of showing you all of this on the day after the Iowa caucus when I should be talking about hardcore politics? The point is that all of these cultural issues are the things that lead to certain candidates, right? They are, as I've said repeatedly now, the rocket fuel, the way the media behaves, calling everyone racist, you're white kids, we don't care about them, all of that stuff is what led to the groundswell of support for Donald Trump. The the politi uh, politicization of our courts so that we go after political opponents. That is what led to Donald Trump and everything else. Everybody's got to be held hostage by something in our social world. They come up with all of these three-letter programs. DEI is the big one. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in every one of these courses, you just heard about one Google put together a DEI training program that blames anti-white indoctrination. How do you take care of the white people? This thing has gotten totally out of hand. I mean, you lump all that together with the LGBTQ blank, 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 whatever the letters and the numbers they have in their names and programs are. It seems like people want to be considered smart and you're only going to be considered smart. Whether you're smart or not is unnecessary. Factual stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's what people want to say and what people want to do and because they have their rights to say anything and do anything, they have that right. But if you're conservative, oh, you don't, you don't have that right. You're part of the problem. You're white. They can come up with something and shove it down the throats of people that have no concept of even what they're alleging people are doing or how and why they're doing it. But just because some enlightened person wants to come up with something to use against somebody, 
who they disagree with. This is madness. And we're trying to teach our kids how to deal with the issues in their life today. And they're being told, you need to learn these programs. You need to use them in your own life and force everybody else around you to be like-minded and sign into these things just like you have. And that means we all think alike. The mob rules. And things just like you heard are ripping the nation apart. I was horrified and still am every day when I see the examples of real racism I'm talking about racism that ends up killing people. It's no longer just a thought thing. Action to kill people just because of who they are, what their skin color is, and what is their nation of origin. And when you look at what's happening between Israel and the Palestinians and how that is bled over into every part of our society, not just the U.S., but around the world. Everybody has to take sides. You either believe and trust that Hamas was okay doing it, but they did it. They slaughtered those Israeli people in the middle of the night, 1,200 of them on October 7th. If you believe that, that automatically puts you over in one corner And in the other corner, it's like a fight, a heavyweight contest going on in the ring. On this side, we have those that are confident that it was okay. Even if Hamas did slaughter innocent Israeli people, it was okay because of yada, 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 yada. And on this side, we have people that are pro-Israeli and believe that what happened was Hamas's fault, but it really is Israel's fault. It's just division, divisiveness. There's no leadership that has been successful to pull these groups of people together, and many have tried through the years, even from the origins, the origins of both peoples, the Palestinians and the Jews, you can go back in world history and pinpoint the time, the circumstances, and who the people were involved that ended up being the Palestinian people throughout history, it's one family, and the Jews throughout history, one family. You've heard the story. It came from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham wasn't a Jew. And he found God. Don't know the circumstances of how he found God, but they developed a relationship. And God really liked Abraham. Abraham, the way he lived, the things that he put in his life were very positive and saw great results among the people his tribes, and God promised Abraham if he would be faithful, he would make Abraham the father of nations. But Abraham was old. 
and his wife Sarah was old, and she was past the age of being able to give Abraham a son. How is he going to have a nation? How could his children and their children and great-grandkids and generations of people that God promised would be descendants of him, how could he even let that happen? And they tried. They wanted to for years and years and years. Couldn't get pregnant, Sarah. So she, in desperation, one time she just finally let in and said, hey, look, here's my handmaiden. Take her. Have sex with her. Get your son. Well, that's what Abraham did. Got pregnant with a son. Mom was Palestinian. Not the name at that particular point, but was from that lineage of people. And her son was Ishmael. Ishmael started the Muslim faith. Abraham and Sarah had a son, Isaac. And that was the beginning of Judaism. Right there in the same village, tents or whatever, the foundations of Islam and Judaism. And they've hated each other through centuries. We have that kind of burning hatred everywhere on the planet today. We look at the United States. Our nation has always been strong supporters of Israel. Israel is our greatest ally, our only ally in the Middle East. And they have always been supportive of U.S. And the U.S. has always supported Israel. But we have that ongoing battle among our lawmakers today. Yesterday, Senator Bernie Sanders, he was thoroughly rejected when he forced a vote to cut aid to Israel. Taking advantage of a decades-old law that would require the State Department to produce a report within a 30-day period on whether the Israeli war effort in Gaza is violating human rights and international accords. With that out there, Sanders pushed a resolution that could have limited U.S. military aid sent to Israel as its war on the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas grinds past 100 days. Sanders' resolution was rejected, 72 senators opposing, 11 joining with Bernie Sanders. To my mind, Israel has the absolute right to defend itself from Hamas's barbaric terrorist attack on October 7th, no question about it. That's Bernie Sanders himself ahead of the vote yesterday. But what Israel does not have a right to do, using military assistance from the United States, does not have the right to go to war against the entire Palestinian people. And in my view, that's what has been happening. And then he tweeted, The Senate will soon vote on my resolution directing the State Department to report on any human rights violations that might have occurred using U.S. equipment in the Israeli military campaign in Gaza. It should not be controversial to ask how U.S. weapons are used. We should all want this information. If you believe the war has been indiscriminate, as I do, 
then we must ask this question. If you believe Israel has done nothing wrong, then this information should support that belief. Of course, Sanders may want to be careful about inquiring over the use of uh, U.S. weapons, given the state of affairs in Ukraine, which he's a big supporter of. The Biden White House dismissed Sanders' effort as unworkable. We don't believe that this resolution is the right vehicle to address these issues, and we don't think now is the right time. It's unworkable, quite frankly. That comes from National Security Council's John Kirby said that in a statement. The Israelis have indicated they're preparing to transition their operations to a much lower intensity. We believe that transition will be helpful both in terms of reducing civilian casualties as well as increasing humanitarian assistance. Senator Ben Cardin, a Democrat from Maryland, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, called the resolution counterproductive in an attempt to table the measure. There are so many moving parts in that. And I want to ask Bernie Sanders this. Put yourself and your fellow people from Vermont, who you represent, put them um, maybe next door to Hamas, kind of like Israel is. Hamas was in the Gaza Strip. Israel's determined after what happened and continues to happen. They're not going to rest until they eliminate every member of Hamas. Why would they do that? Okay, Vermont is next to New Hampshire. If people in New Hampshire looked at you, Bernie Sanders, and your people in Vermont, New Hampshire against Vermont. They're right next door to each other. And both sides went to war against each other. Whatever their justifications were, they went at war against each other and they have total disdain for each other and they want the other 100% destroyed. And they again and again and again, one of those groups refuses to come to the table and work on finding ways to reconcile and at least just get along. But one of them, say, Bernie, you're in Vermont, they're in New Hampshire. The people of New Hampshire say, we're going to eliminate, kill, get rid of everybody from Vermont. They're evil. We can't live together. We got to get rid of them. And they kept saying that year after year after year. And then in the middle of one night, shortly after midnight, all of a sudden, these people from New Hampshire, they slip into Vermont and they start going door to door and slicing the necks of people from Vermont, people they don't even know in most cases, and they're doing it just because they're people from Vermont. What would we expect, Bernie? What would you expect your Vermont fellow citizens to do knowing that New Hampshire's made it very clear they will not stop killing people from Vermont until everybody from Vermont is killed. You don't think you would try to defend yourself and your fellow citizens against an unprovoked attack? And they said they would never stop until they got rid of you and killed every one of you? You can't 
take positions like that based on politics. You just can't do it. Nations are not made of steel and wood. They're made by people. And people have got to find ways to get along amicably. And if there's people getting slaughtered involved in these discussions, it's got to be resolved. And whatever it takes to resolve it, and in this case, Hamas has said, we're going to keep going until you're all gone. And they show it, and they keep killing Israeli people. And you can point both ways in that conversation. I know that. Israel, they're not totally clean through the years. But if you look at where we are right now, not being Palestinians or not being Israelis, but being Americans, you've got to come down and support the people that are at least today doing things that are protecting themselves They've been attacked and slaughtered again and again through the years. Yes, some Palestinians have lost their lives too. And there's no perfect answer to this. But we've got to find a way to get it done. And we have no business telling the leaders of any other country what they've got to do. And in doing so, Bernie Sanders trying to shortcut the political process that they set up. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It can't work. And we've got to straighten it out. That's a wrap on the show today. Again, thank you so much. I hope you're somewhere where you can get warm. We woke up to 14 degrees in North Louisiana. Still got ice on the roads. Louisiana doesn't know how to fix ice. We don't keep sand and salt trucks. We don't at all. We just kind of hope everything blows over, and usually it does. This time, it hasn't. Be safe. And if you're not able to work and you're not able to get out, just fellowship with each other and your family and your close neighbors around you. Maybe there'll be some good come out of this. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I like this song be away from home for a long time and things just get a little sticky and you look back at home and you can't wait to get there another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome but I want to go home mm-hmm. maybe surrounded by a million people I Still feel all alone, just wanna go home. Oh, I miss you, you know. And I've been keeping all the letters that I wrote to you. Each one in line or two. I'm fine, baby, how are you? Well, I would send them, but I know. Just not enough My words were cold and flat And you deserve more than that Another airplane, another sunny place I'm lucky, I know, but I want to go home 
to go home Let me go home I'm just too far from where you are I wanna come home else's life It's like I just stepped outside When everything was going right And I know just why you could not come along with me That this was not your dream But you always believed in me Another winter day has come and gone away In either Paris or Rome And I wanna go home Let me go home And I'm surrounded by a million people I still feel alone And let me go home Oh, I miss you, you know Let me go I'm coming back home